my vision should get it all started, but at some point someone else's vision will take over. But hopefully if the empowerment has worked well, we'll avoid backsliding. We might be different, but we won't be diminished. With what's fascinating at the moment for all the wealth, for all the stuff, for all the medical stuff, we are starting to be diminished. I'm joined this evening with David Olney. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Tim. And I'm also joined with a special guest, our honorary host, Peter Thompson. Thank you for joining us. Good evening. Well, gentlemen, we've started our campaign and we're ready to be elected as the Philosopher Kings. The question is, will the audience vote for us? More importantly, will we vote for us? (laughs) Well, we're going to make a, 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 an hour-long case, I suppose, as to maybe why or why not. <laughs> why we would vote for us and why you might want to vote for us. Or maybe it's just a terrible idea. Yes. Wait till the end of the hour to find out. And of course, this is a platonic idea, right? Essentially. Yeah. yeah. Would you like to expand on it for the audience, please, David? We'll put it this way. It, it goes back to the ancient Greeks, and it's the kind of question that Aristotle pondered on because... He, of course, was Alexander the Great's tutor. So he had to directly, and I think Plato thought about it too, but I've always found sort of Aristotle's musings on the idea of the philosopher king more interesting because he trained a king Mm. who at one level was an amazing military leader, had all sorts of great ideas about how to stabilise the places he conquered, i.e. marrying his elite soldiers off to the local elite's daughters to guarantee a link, you know, which had such an impact that the oldest mosque in Afghanistan wasn't originally a mosque. It was originally a Greek temple. That's tripped everyone out, hadn't it? So it looks like an ancient Greek temple because it was actually a consequence of some of, you know, Alexander's troops staying and it transforming the culture. I remember this kind of very faintly. It's something, something almost like a prophecy that only when kings are philosophers and philosophers are kings will the world know peace. And I'm not sure if that's a bastardization that I've heard from some third party, and I suspect it is. But the, the argument is mm, the argument is something something along those lines that it might be it might be good for our leaders to have more of the attitude and, and habits of philosophers. Well, we have the word king in it too. Mm. And that is, do we want a small number of people with the right to just get on with it? So what we're saying here is we get pissed off with democracy regularly for underperforming. So democracy good, but part of a way to remind ourselves that democracy is good is to do that thing of test the other idea. You don't test it, how do you know if it's maybe got more value? So the three of us jokingly said, well, what if we could be the philosopher kings of Australia? And we didn't really go into much more detail from what I remember than that, other than to go, what an interesting idea for an episode. My name was going to be King Larry Wallaby Walloo. I'm glad you can even say that. (laughs) I'm just going to call you Tim. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) King Larry will do. (laughs) How about King Larry? Larry. (laughs) King King Larry. (laughs) Where does the matter? (laughs) Yeah, this is the thing. It's it's that the 
whole Winston Churchill, like there's been so many famous commentators that, that say that, you know, democracy is a terrible system, but it's also the best one we've got. Yeah, it's so. the best worst system we've got. And I think yeah. that's what we need to be thinking about here that so often you hear people say, and I certainly think it, but I try not to say it in the world. If I was in charge, I'd do this differently. Cause what I've always realized is I don't want to do the 20 years of work to become part of a party machine to be supported by the party, to be prime minister in a system that limits to me what the party can do. Because if I do that, then I'm not going to get what I want to get done done anyway, because I don't believe I'm that persuasive. And I believe my ideas are probably a little bit beyond the normal pale of politics to implement. So if I was going to be, you know, philosopher King tomorrow, I would institute modern monetary theory to, you know, make the economy work better. I would make education and healthcare free. I would introduce national service from 18 to 21 year olds instantly. And it wouldn't have to be military, but you would have to do something useful to the collective. I would reinstitute manufacturing. I would put proper money into interdisciplinary research. I would probably change a lot of the penalties for different crimes, reduce ones on drugs, up ones on violence. So I know exactly what I'd do. And that's the reason why this idea keeps popping back in my head. So if you guys were philosophy king or philosopher kings, what do you think, what would you want to achieve when you have those moments like me of going, damn it, if I had power, I'd do X. And it feels like unlimited power. So you're asking exactly, exactly. You're asking what's your policy platform. Yeah. What's yeah, exactly. You know, there'd be a few very specific things that I would do and, and they would mostly be things like tax reform. You know, I don't really think that many people should be earning more than, you know, tens of millions of dollars a year, certainly not individuals. Um, I wouldn't try and get in the way necessarily of companies turning a profit, but so long as they're performing a societal good, I'm not going to punish them mm. if they're being particularly belligerent in terms of how, it is affecting the society at large. I'm going to penalize them for that. It's free, except that you have to take responsibility for your actions. And I think that would probably be the overarching. It would, it would be like American Liberty with an asterisk <laughs> would be the overarching kind of thing that I would start with and then go from there and probably implement a lot of just, personal things like you know exactly like you said david you know might legalize marijuana and try and tax it and all those kinds of things and i think i would put a lot more money into education mm. i would actually probably try and make i would probably just buy back the private schools and then try and bring up public schools to a level that private schools are at so it would try and combat some of the public schooling systems inadequacies in terms of, you know, depending on where you get zoned, depends on how good of a public school you go to, which is pretty disgusting. Things like that. I think I would put a lot of, a lot of emphasis on education. I would actually, I would probably replace a lot of the curriculum in terms of replacing at least 50% of what we have focused on STEM with other things, mm. uh, especially if you're about to go into some form of public service. I would explain to children slash adolescents why exactly it is that you're being forced into some kind of public service after national you leave school. Service. National service is yeah, maybe a better way to describe it. Hmm. I would absolutely put a lot more tariffs on international imports, things like that. I'd 
I, I think one of the first things that I would do would be try and surround myself with people that know a lot more about specific subjects than I do, which is technically, I guess, what a parliament is meant to be, I guess. Yeah, but that's the problem. If you end up with advisors who are eventually going to replace you, the mm. advantage here I see of being the philosopher king for a while is you can just talk to the experts and they better just tell you what you need to know technically because they're not going to get to replace you. So there's no reason for them to suck up. Mm. Oh, no, not at all. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. No, they can't become you, so they've got no reason to suck up. Whereas at the moment, the way the system works, if you're an advisor, you've got every reason to keep the party sweet so that you get pre-selection later. Mm. I'm not sure if you've seen the film. It's just a comedy, Sasha Baron Cohen comedy called The Dictator. He, he runs some he runs a, a country in the gulf and all of his advisors and things he like basically always executes as soon as they say something that is like any in any way contrary or like offensive yeah. or like undermines his leadership i would absolutely be like that yeah <laughs> uh, but you know there would be people that i would have around me that would be that would i would that i would admire philosophically but like you know, if, if, if you could set up something where you put, say, like if you could pull people back from history and you could put so like... Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Yeah, exactly. To advisors to the mm, philosopher king. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you could put like Nietzsche and like Kant and, um, and just these people that had like opposing views and like critiqued each other in the same room, that would be really cool. Doesn't, doesn't exist like a... I, I can't think of a, a modern example except to say that I could put like union leaders <laughs> and you know capital venturists or something in the same room. Or venture capitalists. <laughs> venture, that's what I meant. So yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I would it, it, the kind of equivalent of that if I could. Um, it wouldn't be yeah, so much an advisor, but I could towards each other rather than sure. seeking truth or knowledge. No, so, but you know, okay, okay. Might be after seek truth and knowledge. But but so. In my in my pursuit of truth and knowledge, I would be putting I would be putting those kinds of people in the same room and just watching them devour each other. Because if you have well, that power, sport, but, but you could be intellectual blood sport. Absolutely. But I can't think of a faster way to educate myself about certain things that I wouldn't now have a policy on. Does that make sense? Yeah, I see where you're coming from. Yeah, it's mm. sort of intellectual you know, combativeness to speed mm. up your learning curve. Okay. We'll put it this way. It's, it's literally the, it is, it is gladiatorial entertainment. Uh, learning. So again, you're yes. getting endorphins from being entertained and you're learning. So you're um, I'm basically, I, I'll assume a position as if I was the philosopher Caesar. Yeah. Philosopher Caesar. Nero. Going, I was going to say you're going Nero pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Uh, Et du Brutus. <laughs> okay, so I took it to national service. He took it to Rome. Where are you going to take it, Peter? <laughs> oh, yikes. Um, yeah, well, I think, I mean, a lot of the stuff that you two have already said is fantastic. You know, massive shot in the arm for Australian educational system would be fantastic, as would a, uh, as would a, a, a UBI, a mm. national service. I would, also, I would also love to see uh, the legalization of marijuana, maybe making it mandatory, actually. Uh, that's, a, that's, a little, that's a little joke. Just a little <laughs> philosopher king joke. <laughs> 
No, I'd like to see Australian marijuana uh, packaged, taxed, uh, with a wallaby sticker stuck on it and sold in California. Got more importantly, um, wallaby smoked dope or dope smoked wallaby. Oh, oh wow! Yes, yikes! Mm, Here we go. (laughs) Wallaby jerky. Oh my god! Smoked with marijuana. Oh my lord. (laughs) That's the thing. See, there you go. Steve Irwin's wallaby dingo, dingo, donger, smoked, <laughs> smoked dingo. Fuck. I can see it flying off the shelves. Uh, look, what, what else would be fantastic? I would love to see voluntary euthanasia uh, legislation passed. Yeah, probably dignity in life. And if you don't want to be it, well, you don't want to be it. Yes, I think that'd be magnificent. I think it would be great to... Look, I, I'm not. I wouldn't legalize all drugs, but I would, I would like legalize non-harmful drugs, non-addictive drugs, and let people use uh, certain uh, psychedelic drugs for clinical yeah, usage. You know, MDMA, yes, uh, LSD under you know guided trips. Yes, so you get the benefit rather than the freak out. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, this, um, some of our listeners might not know this, but, uh, MDMA was used quite successfully in marriage counseling in the U S I know only know of examples in the U S it was used yeah. quite well. Then one of the characteristics of the, of the MDMA trip is the kind of, is the, it's, it's a component of the, of the party drug ecstasy, which is MDMA mixed with amphetamines. But the MDMA basically, it, it, if you imagine it, you imagine it like you're happy because your brain has a little reserve of happiness and every now and again, it squirts a little bit of it out. This drug basically gets you to squirt your entire week's worth of supply of happiness out, which makes people very warm to each other, feelings of love for each other, um, wanting to explain oneself and be understood. And apparently it was quite effective. So that'd be another thing I'd like to do. I think that'd be, that'd be some great drug reform. Gosh, 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 gosh. And what else? Uh, some big infrastructure uh, projects um, and finding a way to actually get ordinary Australians to be able to participate. Have we got some roads? we pumped hydro all over Australia. Yeah, whatever it is. Effective, you know, the most effective way to do you know, reliable energy with the technology we have now. Mm. Yeah. Yep. yep. I mean, how many, uh, you know, let's get... Let's get it done. Let's do a big, I think that's, that's one thing that I really miss in terms of Australian political policies is, um, is a big national project that we can all be proud of. I don't see any reason that we shouldn't be um, punching above our weight at, at big projects at all. And that's, that's what comes to mind, I suppose. Oh, and a, a progressive policy of seeking out our regional neighbours and disaster-proofing them, whether that's against... True disease or climate change or natural disasters from severe weather events. Get rid of the push factors so they can build whatever kind of world they want. Yeah. Yeah. Without us having to lock them up. I'd sell it to the conservatives that it would mean that those people wouldn't come to our country and I'd sell it to liberals as a, as a compassionate thing to help uh, save people's lives. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So so if we sum up our package or, you know, of vote for us as the philosopher Kings, we want to build better educated citizens, more healthcare. We probably want them to do some sort of national service, at least two out of three of us, two and a half out of three of us. Oh no, I, I would, I would, I would like to see that as well. I think it okay. works well so in Korea out of three and of Scandinavian countries. Yeah, it doesn't have to be military, but you do have to realize the collective gave you your nice life. 
yeah. and give something back. We want to make sure drugs are available to mellow people out, but also for the amazing experiences that had appeared in the 50s and 60s were showing more signs of solving psychological and psychiatric problems than anything tried since. LSD and psilocybin and MDMA really the gains made in the testing before it was all stopped were monumental. Mm -hmm. The fact that nearly all of them are back on the table for serious research again is fantastic. But let's make that normal so someone's got a problem. The drugs that work are available, the therapy that works is available. Now, in terms of the education thing, you know, if we just nationalise all schools, pay every teacher a great amount of money so we get the best people wanting to be teachers, that seems a good solution, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Same with nurses. I would actually yeah. restructure the entire value system around which wages yeah. are calculated. If you care, help and grow the society, mm-hmm. biggest paychecks. Now, it's not to say you can't earn money entrepreneurially or in business, but anyone who cares and helps should automatically have a really comfortable life because the caring and helping in those things are hard. So economic reform, the whole tariff thing, well, it depends who we want alliances with, but we could use a... How about we say a combination of tariffs and using MMT to stimulate reindustrialization? Do you think that Team America World Police would try and instill a democracy here, though, if we had a philosopher king? Well, I, I think this is something you know we need. And well, we can jump to that now, or we're going to be philosopher kings. How long are we asking for the population to vote us in for? <laughs> I think it's for life, right? It's it's got to be it's got to be an all or nothing thing, doesn't it? And see, this is. I love what theoretically we could do, but in doing so, we destabilize the power structure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I mean, there's, un- there's an underlying sort of subtext here, which is that if people don't make us their king, do we, do we bother sharing this information with them? Or do we bother sharing information with them at all? Do they well, we can get that? to that darker question, and that is if we had the power, we just take it. So how about we get that one out of the way? Because that, that's sort of just a yes, no with explanation. <laughs> if uh, well, we had uh, the power, would we take power? No, I wouldn't. No, um, because, me too. Because it, uh, what is wonderful about, and we were kind of talking about this a little bit before the show, we were kind of talking about how great systems are that have various parts that are, Uh, what would you call mediated or moderated by other parts of the system and democratic progress is incremental. It's frustratingly incremental and can go backwards and it can go backwards, but it does seem on the whole, when you look at maybe a hundred years of, of democracy, at least in the West to have made some fairly reasonable strides. And I, I wouldn't be willing to throw that away. Uh, I, it's, I believe that it's, we are, it is so unlikely that we have come across the system and the peace and the prosperity that we have that I would be unwilling to risk it on accelerating those gains, mm. even when the pain of not advancing quicker and the damage and the suffering caused by it is mind-bogglingly immense. Mm. Now, what so, about you, Tim? You didn't pack up there? Yeah, look, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of on the fence. It, like, it, my, my, my knee-jerk reaction is to say that I wouldn't trust myself to do it anyway. Yeah. Except that I don't think anyone ever really reaches the point where they feel like they are master of more than even a few things. 
Mm. Like I think very few people feel like they're a master of more than one thing, let alone enough things to warrant being philosopher king. Yeah, exactly. The philosopher king. Mm. In and it, it seems even more so in the context of the 21st century than it probably did when Plato imagined this. Mm. It probably made more sense well, during an era. Normal. Yeah, that's right. It probably so made more sense. The idea then that someone was powerful enough to rule a kingdom was normal because it's what people did. Mm. So the whole thing is historically, it was normal to be ruled by one person who did it through violence heredity and claiming a link to God. Yeah. Now, do we find any of those things credible? No, this is why we've stuck the word philosopher in front of us so that we don't just look like the historical King. Yeah. But the terrible thing, it seems by having put the word philosopher in, we seem to have pretty much agreed. We wouldn't seize power even if we could. Mm. Cause at the end of the day, everything we said was about empowering people and making them healthier and making them happier. And yet if they're not able to take, control of their own destiny and maintain it when we're not there what did we achieve i mean even even let's take it down to even just a psychological level if i if if this was let's say this was a position i wanted to assume would i want to get there because it was instilled just by virtue of my limitless power, hypothetical limitless power or would i want to get there because i achieved it by a collective standard part of me feels like, and this is, this might just be down to my personality that I would probably value it more if it was, I assume that position because of a collective standard rather than, mm-hmm. rather than my, just because I could assume it because it was available to me. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I would hope that as part of everyone else's self actualization and responsibility, etc., that they would want their own say self-determination. And, and the society you live in is, to, is completely determined by the leadership in which it has. So, and the society you well, live the society in society builds the leaders that eventually take control of it. Sure. But, or, or the leaders. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess so because they're socialized it, even, into it and then sure. they either grow beyond it or they rule it in the way it understands. I mean, look at well, exactly. I mean, look at the way that the three of us just described how we would operate if we were the philosopher kings. It was completely determined by things that we'd already heard and seen and 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 thought mm. about, and and policies that are not necessarily abstract in the society we actually live in, in in our actual reality. No, we want um, an enhanced version of now because yes. we're of now, and we're yes. struggling with the idea of power for power's sake. Yes. So we fail the ultimate king test, which means maybe the philosopher king thing's interesting. But then I also keep coming back to this thing of okay, things get worse than they are now. Mm. You know, the collective is disintegrating, and you step in and you step in and you do what you can, and you step in and you do what you can, and you become the philosopher king that way. That's a totally different thing if people picked it. But for me, part of the thing that I could only get there by it being okay with people. I wouldn't want to take it because power for power's sake, I don't see the point in like, there's obviously people who can live that way. I just don't get it. Mm. But to me, even if the collective wanted me to do it, I would be going, okay, now how do I get it to the collective to the point of taking more and more responsibility to maintain the gains we get in the next period? So I might want the collective to reflect my beliefs about, you know, making a, a fairer, more robust society, 
but I still want to hand it back to them. Yeah, that's, that's a interesting. weird combo. It's a because turbo. What if they, yeah, what if they don't grow up? Mm-hmm. What if they don't? So I'll, I'll give a, a practical example. So Ugandan president, President Museveni, came out of the bush in the early 80s. You know, after three dictators seized control of Uganda, turned it into a one-party state. Very simple rules for the single party. Don't care what tribe you're from. Don't care what region you're from. Don't care what religion you are. Don't care whether you're male or female. If you join the party, you turn up to meetings with good ideas. If the people in your local branch like you, they vote for you, you go up the next level. If that level likes you, they vote for you, you go up the next level. If that keeps happening, you end up in parliament. And it was nearly 20 years of one party state before he allowed there to be an official opposition. And his argument always was he was trying to build a population who were able to rule themselves well without corruption and brutalizing each other. And yet because he pulled the country out of three dictators in a row, he still hasn't surrendered power. Because I think he's one probably likes it, but two for a long time was legitimately afraid that maybe all the gains hadn't been stabilized. Now it seems from doing some reading, the Ugandan political parties are now very stable and sensible, would like to build a really effective democracy, understand you shouldn't brutalize each other. Um, and yet how do you let go and risk everything you've done disintegrating? Mm, like Alexander's empire, huh? Yeah. Now that wasn't democratic, but it was sophisticated. So you, you want to build in, or at least to my mind, you want to build in an exit strategy. Because the other thing I always do is I always do the whole, you know, rules, veil of ignorance. Hey, we're talking about here about being the philosopher king, but what would it like to be born into the society we're building, not knowing who you'd be in it? So no point have we said this is hereditary, that we want either our spawn to follow us, if any of us have spawn, or someone we pick to follow us. I sure as shit wouldn't want anything that was hereditary. I'm not sure I'd trust the three of us to pick the next three philosopher kings because mm. we might trust each other and keep each other honest. But what if the next three we pick go, well, this is working well. We'll just do it for 20 years and then hand over to the next three. Would there be a set of measures? Would there be a set of measures that we could have people meet requirements that we could have people meet to assume the role next therefore so would we set up a constitutional monarchy that gives the philosopher king's power to move faster but limits their power so the society still feel engaged and have something to work towards maybe being the next philosopher kings oh i like that Mm. so it's kind of ironic we are so democratic and what i don't know is if it's our experience of it our education to think about it or just the power of a single idea like Rawls's veil of ignorance going, Holy shit, I'm born into this society. What's it like if I'm not the philosopher King? And I'd want to know that if someone was born who was a caring intellectual machine with the discipline to do the difficult thing for the good of the majority, that they could potentially be the next people to be elected to the role. Because otherwise, what's the point of what we've made? So if, we, if we're afraid to transition it back to political parties and go backwards, 
and the alternatives to trying to more philosophy kings, we have to have a system that can build a path for them to get to the point of being selected. And there needs to be a removal strategy if they lose the plot or it goes against the public good. So we automatically go back to exactly what we were talking about before the episode and what you brought up, Peter. How do we balance the pieces to contain and mediate each other? Mm. So we're doing ourselves out of a lot of our kingly powers very quickly. Good. Do you know why? Because I'm the most jealous and egotistic king and I don't want people in a hundred years, not even a thousand years thinking poorly about me, David. I will not have my tyrannical rule being uh, spoiled with a bad legacy. Thank you very much. No, Do you I'm want the statues to... to look fabulous and to be pissing yeah, yeah. shit proof? In, in right. perpetuity, please. Isn't it funny how that sense of like personal meaning scales to that level? It's like, it's not just the, the legacy that you leave with the people who know you. But at that level, you start thinking about the legacy that you leave and the footprint that you leave in history as, as a significant figure. So the, the, those, the, so the, the very kinds of insufficiencies, I guess, we find in our own lives on just a, a general citizen scale, scale up. Yeah, I'm going to have to think about that because I don't know if I want to be remembered as anything other than the founder that made the more effective system. Oh, sure. So like maybe, so perhaps you don't, but clearly other, other, other it, dictators in the past do. have. Yeah. Yeah. I would have made a terrible historical dictator. Mm-hmm. <laughs> With the brain I have now. I now, want a- all of you out there to think for yourselves. I want you to interrogate the things you hold strongly. Great. Guys, no, I would like to know what you would do with people who have too low an IQ that they wouldn't be accepted into the military. Cause this is this well, in, again, in terms let's, of- say into, let's say international service. Cause I want people to be able to do social, you know, work like assisting schools, hospitals. I want people to be able to do environmental national service and go out and rehabilitate waterways, replant hillsides. I don't care what they do as long as they learn their life is only good because the collective made it good. Mm-hmm. I don't mind how they learn that. Oh yeah. You could have, you could, I mean, you could have, you could have simple tasks that tapered off into basically recreational activities, you know, things that were pleasant and grew skills. If, if no other practical usage than the, the ability to kind of foster a person's creative expression. I suppose that would be the, the types of things that you could do for the low, low end of the, the IQ band. You know? Yeah, basically, I think you just go, you can't hold political office. You can't probably vote for political office. You're not allowed anywhere near firearms or dangerous drugs. We'll try and give you something meaningful to do if you're able and find ways for you to have joy in your life that don't put you or others at risk. Again, you know, if it's a world of eugenics, they're going to look at me born nine weeks early with eyes that don't work and put me down. Mm. So I'm, I'm the last person that's ever going to go down the eugenic path, but also I'm going to go, right, we need to make sure that these people are comfortable, don't struggle, because the minute you have an underclass, you get other problems. Now, the difficult question, again, I wouldn't put anyone down, but would I want them producing more people with IQs under 80? Oh, I, it, it's hard. It's like uh, we're we're so close to 
we're so close to phenomenal things that we're going to be able to do and change our natures that I, I don't think I'm, I'm not sure if there's if there's much of a point worrying about you know people's IQs and things like that. I, I think that's that's kind of all all part of the course at this point. Before the show or earlier on today, I was watching the new Elon Musk Joe Rogan interview. And Elon Musk was talking about the mind machine interface and even the possibility of, you know, of being able to use AI to augment our own cognitive processes. So I mean, with that stuff so close around the corner, you know, but, yeah, but does that mean we put a limiter in some people so they can't harm themselves or others accidentally? Oh, hmm. Hmm. what do you mean by a limiter for, for what type of people? Well, the AI that says, dumb, dumb, don't put your hand in the oven. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, dumb, dumb, don't put the other kid's head in the oven. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you would, you would hope that it would make some kind of impression on the, on the conscious mind that would at least alert a person to the danger that was happening. So, yeah, we certainly know we wouldn't want to be killing people. No. But we do think it's probably a good idea to stop them doing harm to themselves and others. Oh, it depends. Yeah. depends how much harm. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure if I would want to ban McDonald's. Oh, maybe I would ban McDonald's. Yeah, but oh, dude, this is, as this it is exists now. Sorts, this is all sorts of questions. Oh, so. no, now I'm getting into the terrible things that I would do, the things I would just start to ban. Yeah, but you guys, it was like, you, you know, you were going like, I've got all this freedom, but I'm going to do little things. Mm. Now you're getting it. Like, do we want shitty junk foods that give people comorbidities? Or more, or more to the point, David, do we want foods that trigger a person's pr uh, primal instincts in such a way that, that it robs them of the ability to reasonably choose? Yeah. Like, do we want the, uh, them to be sugar addicts? Yeah, really. right. Exactly. Or, or but, uh, yeah. grease, look, grease addicts. If we look now, a large reason to go to McDonald's is it's cheap and it's quick. Mm -hmm. And people are time and cash poor. So I think I would want to see in the world we're describing, if people were less time poor and less cash poor, would they still choose it? Not only that, but we would have probably more control over how those things were represented. And so if, if, if we had, um, I'm not sure if you've seen those um, honest government ads where it's just like a complete parody of selling uh, Australian government policies mm. Uh, they they circulate Facebook sometimes, but we could have those about things like McDonald's. It's like, are you going to be a piece of shit today? Like, are you just going to like pig out and just just eat terrible food for yourself, or like, or you could be maybe a little bit more positive than that, and you could say something along the lines of, um, you know, it's late, you know, you haven't got time to cook, you can't afford something nicer, we're always here for you, you know, something like that, and mcdonald's could be you could be like almost very aware of how bad it is to eat mcdonald's and it wouldn't be as profitable a business but it you could still have the freedom you could have the choice to make a bad decision yeah we don't want to take away choice necessarily but to make sure that people have other choices mm. like in a world where education and healthcare don't cost anyone anything there's no reason that we can't also make sure that you know food is subsidized every kid that goes to school gets breakfast and lunch mm, yeah that's just a part of every school mm. so that every kid gets exposed to interesting food and healthy food two meals a day so even if the meal at home is you know 
less inspiring because we're in a period of transition, they still go, well, I know which two I liked. Hmm. Again, when's the last time you guys went to McDonald's? I went to McDonald's a fortnight ago. Yeah, was a week ago. <laughs> a, a, a week ago, I went. Okay. Because you were in a hurry or because it was a way to get out of the house for a bit and eat something that while we're living under COVID-19 fulfilled that whole, you know, um, sort of you know, mellow comfort food thing. Absolutely. Yep. That second one. Okay. So before COVID-19, when's the last time you went? Oh, look, actually, I'm a bad, I'm a bad example of this. I would, um, Peter and I would go and, and have a McDonald's every fortnight and um, do it on a special night. I, I quite enjoy it, but I... I you, you've just made your point to me. Once hmm. a fortnight... You know it's not healthy, but you also know it's kind of got a degree of pleasure in it, but you manage it. Mm. It's the same as alcohol or dope. Mm. Where's the mm. difference? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I suppose it would just have to be the best approach would be something like an integrated educational approach, like you were talking about. Maybe even getting the kids to prepare the food they have for recess and lunch, something like that, so they understand how it's developed. But yeah, what would you call it? Nutrition literacy or something? Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, school should be about all sorts of relevant literacies. Mm. No kids should leave school not knowing how your personal finances basically work. Mm. So, no as, should, oh, sorry. Mm. That's right. I just, you know, anything we come up with that we think is something where you shouldn't be at the whim of false prophets or, you know, sort of social influences, we need to make part of that literacy package. And that's it. It, it. That creates all kinds of interesting um, consequences for, say, tertiary education, because it, all of a sudden, high school is not about preparing you for university. It's about preparing you for life after high school, to a larger extent than it is now. I won't be completely unfair to the education system as it, no, as it stands. Tertiary but, is something you would do, yeah, to get to a profession. It's not something you would do. To well, you might not even do that. Thing. I would just implement some kind of completely different system that maybe you would call it a university, but I would have another, another kind of vocational education system that was perhaps more academic than TAFE. Well, the whole point is if we have high school till 17, 18, mm. then whatever length our national service is, one to two years, whatever we want to call it. You could make vocational, sure. Yeah, and then you go and get your profession being yeah. that little bit older, a little bit more life experience, that part of your national service is that you need to piss off and live in a different state with people you don't know in a collective environment and learn to make friends with strangers and learn to be away from your comfort zone so that you can do brave things. Gentlemen, how do you feel about, let's say, allowing porn in your society? Yes. Mm -hmm. Pro porn. Pro porn. I love, uh, I think, um, <laughs> I think it's people's right to be able to do whatever they want with their bodies to sell and make images regarding their bodies. I would absolutely allow it, but I would make it a public service. We'd have, um, ABC 69. Uh <laughs> <laughs> okay. Is that to make sure that people weren't being exploited in it? Yes. Or? It would okay. kind of remove the human trafficking element. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's my argument is you can have it as long as no one has to do it because mm -hmm. it's their only way to earn money. Right, obviously. As yeah. long as someone that looks very pretty and likes sex mm. only does it if they want to mm. and it doesn't pay better than five other things they could do. Right. Mm. Like if it's a, oh shit, it's this or in one third the money, mm -hmm. no, not good enough. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. But you have to make room in your society for people to make money off their mental idiosyncrasies. Yeah, uh, they should be able to make addicts, money off like, the porn, but they shouldn't be going, the choice is to work for minimum wage and make you know, $25,000 a year or do porn. Right. Yeah. yeah, but this is this is in com- in combination with a um, with a working with a functioning UBI that gives yeah. people enough to to be able to afford their necessities and be able to accumulate capital for individual projects. Yeah, like um, if they want to do it to do that and they're cool with it, mm. but they they chose it over other things that would have paid about right. the same. Yeah, absolutely, no yeah. problem. Sure, sure, sure. And the second benefit uh, is because the accessibility of pornography helps differently abled people who aren't necessarily able to have sex. And theoretically, we weren't able to have porn because of other concerns. I would have it available medicinally for people, for, Ooh, for cool. various marginalized people. Yeah. Um, and for semen collection. <laughs> well, just for, um, for, for being, for expressing human, um, yeah, uh, human drives. Human yeah. Yeah. I, just, yeah. I just mean, you know, for people who <laughs> want to have sperm donor, I just mean. Oh, sure. It's, it's yeah. well, I suppose you'd have yeah. it for, for, um, for, um, uh, sperm collection. How did we get here from Philosopher King to Oh, I, I apologize. It was the way I would extract the sperm is, <laughs> yeah, anyway. Uh, hot poker. <laughs> Mm. Uh, yeah, this yeah, is more Aristotelian. Is what's the word for that? Aristotelian. Is it? I thought you were going to say this is more like a blind drunk episode. Yeah, oh, we, we say, more. Yeah. It, has, <laughs> it has got far closer to that. So, okay. yeah, the, the whole point is, we, we acknowledge we're doing social engineering to build more rounded, more open, more responsible people. So we have to have um, both a balance on freedom and limits, but our problem seems to be with the system we've got, it, it, you know, it, it's too slow and, you know, different to mainstream, but not radically different. We haven't really pushed for anything crazy here yet. So why can't society manage anything like what we're talking about? Oh boy. Oh man. Well, this is a kettle of fish, isn't it? Because oh. we're not really that radical, but we're just that bit more radical. So I guess this is the problem. And it's that wonderful thing. You know, the word weird to describe the West. Yeah. yeah. Western, mm-hmm. uh, educated. Western educated, industrialized, enriched and democratic. Yeah. We're the weirdest people in history. Mm. So we're the weirdest of the weird by both wanting a more liberal society but also, and I mean that in the best small L way, but one also that takes responsibility for understanding that the collective made this possible and you need to be willing to do difficult things to maintain the collective. So I, I just want to slightly backtrack to, to justify the, the reason why it, it, there is utility in, in, in thinking about whether you would have porn or even why, David, when we first started, you asked what our policies would be. Mm. It's because it sets your scale for how how radical you want to be, and everything. Every time that we've added an extra thing into that, it's kind of highlighted just how close what we're saying is to the to what exists now. Is our frustration um, that we're so close, and our society just doesn't get over the line? Yes. Yeah, it is, isn't it? That's the essence of all of this. Our ultimate frustration is going for Frick's sake. We are so close 
to getting so much right. But the problem is it's one of those things that there's a knife edge. You're on one side or the other. And we've just tipped over onto the don't get it right side in so many things when we could just tip over the other side and get them right. It wouldn't cost any more money. It wouldn't take any more time. It wouldn't take any more resources, just better application. So have, has the human history, let, let's say a thousand BC to now the past 3000 years. That's correct. I think that's been rather radical, rather fast in terms of, and changing how society was before that to what it is now. Do you think that we're slowing? Have we hit kind no, of no, no. peak progression? No, no, but, but it's, it's exponentially, it's exponentially um, um, speeding up. Yeah, um, the industrial revolution to now we're almost pushing our poor 200,000 year old brain to its limit. Yeah. But I, I think the, the way I kind of where I feel it's, uh, it's at, and maybe you can tell me what you think about this after David is that we're, we're just, we're at the point now where we've almost crossed or have just crossed the point where, uh, what do you call it? In the curve, in the exponential curve, that bit where it goes, where it changes from traveling yeah. across to traveling upwards. What would you call that? I know what you mean, but I don't know the name. What I was just imagining then is it's like the event horizon of a black hole. Mm. It's that last bit where you're not in it. Mm. And once you're in it, you're not here anymore. And that's the thing. In some ways, I think you're right. Technology sped up, but our 200,000 year old brain and probably more than that, our 10,000 year old agricultural brain mm -hmm. is mean, on its limits. Mm. And enough of us want a different world going. We're on a dead end track. We're on the repetition of nearly awesome, but failing in too many important ways. So part of being a philosopher king would be to kick over that edge. I don't know. Is this a myth that everyone has who wants to change their society or is it unique to now? I, I think it might be unique to now because lots of other societies, like if you look back at the utopias from the anarchists and the communists, you know, that wonderful Chernichevsky book, uh, what is to be done about the utopia he imagined as a socialist to us. Now they look kind of childlike and weird. Mm. Yeah, you know, that's because we're nearer to having a lot of those things, but still not getting the best versions of them and getting them in play. So they become self-sustaining as a societal bundle of things. I would like to posit that the closest or, or actually maybe the most significant, aside from its inception, let's say with Plato, the most significant milestone for humanity in, in terms of this subject is going to be the Enlightenment. I want to highlight one specific philosopher after that. I'm not sure whether you're aware. Richard Rorty was known as oh, yeah. a pragmatist and everything he ra he railed against basically the, the post enlightenment philosophers for effectively assuming similar kinds of roles that existed before the enlightenment and his whole kind of, let's say meta philosophy as in, his feelings towards his own philosophy was that he was kind of in the same way that we kind of started this conversation, putting everything out there and expecting to be found to be wrong eventually, but kind of progressive by the, the standards in which by the standards of the time in which he was saying what he was saying, it was just kind of a, so he's a pragmatist. So it was, it was pragmatic in saying like, this is at, 
kind of as progressive as I personally can think about these things now, but eventually they're going to be proven to be wrong. And this is the whole point of the enlightenment is that even though right now I'm an expert, eventually I'm going to be the very evil that I'm fighting against now. Um, and was kind of, I guess, honest with himself mm-hmm. about that. Mm. Yeah, but this is why I want a time limit. So without, again, I remember reading Rorty and strangely, I haven't remembered any of it I read. Until now. No, I still haven't remembered it. I know I read Rorty. I know I read two or three of his books, but they, they didn't stick in a conscious way, which is really weird for me. And I'm now wondering why that's um, odd for me to have invested the time and it didn't stick. It was mostly about truth. So everything that I've just said is, is more in the study of who Rorty is than what he actually produced. Yeah. But you know, you're onto something. So the enlightenment was a break, but it was built in the Renaissance. The Renaissance was a break, but it was built on the early modern. The early modern was a break, but it was, you know, built on the late medieval. So there was an explosion of thought in the enlightenment and an explosion of art and explosion of science, but also an explosion of industry and of exploration. It was sort of a conflagration of more. And we're kind of running out of space and resources on earth for a conflagration of more. So something in this idea that the next great change has to be in how we see it all and then how we live in it, because there's at the moment, there's no more to play with. There's no more resources, no more space. Yeah. The, the great unexplored bit really is under the ocean. We do that and we'll lose that more as well. So I don't know whether our brains get faster or slower after this, or whether we get more radical or less. And maybe that's not our responsibility. Maybe to be a good philosopher King is again, to pick up on sort of the stuff you were just talking about, Tim, to realize I can see now, if we just tipped over to the other side of the line, so many things that are nearly amazing might be. And let's consolidate that, but let's not take away anyone's freedom to then make that better. Let's just try and build something into the system to stop backsliding and not stop it forever, but just slow the rate at which what things that we think are valuable could be undone. It comes back to that people are prepared to let things stay the way that they are so long as they don't let anything get worse. It's really and deprivation at some level, isn't it? We yeah. expect it to get better and we expect it not to get worse. We're frustrated at the moment because even before COVID-19, the economic and environmental situation said it's probably not getting better and it's now getting worse. Mm-hmm. So historically we should be in a revolution now rather than locked down from a virus. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Isn't that funny how this whole conversation has been in, in, in colored, I guess, by the fact that, well, by, 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 our, by each of our individual kind of progressive tendencies in some ways. Oh yeah. We couldn't have power for power's sake and do the big statues that aren't we amazing. Cause the other two of us ago, like, do you feeling okay today? <laughs> You're not being our version of a progressive lock in the good bits, make room for new good bits, stop backsliding in as much as you can't stop it because you need, freedom because you want to make capable people, but Mm. stop it happening too fast. Mm. So So it's about retarding damage, slowing damage and increasing the chance of positive growth. And at some level we have to shape that while we're doing it because we're the tool. Mm. We're the chisel 
and the hammer hitting the marble. So I want to pose two questions. Oh, sorry. Go for oh, it. No, that, it's just interesting because we were talking about, when you were talking about, uh, was it Rorty? Rorty, Tim. You were talking about him, him willing, him imagining that he in time would be considered the evil that he's fighting against. And then you just said then, David, you, you, you made explicit the exact mental image that I had, which was of a marble slab of ideas being slowly chipped away at uh, by, progressive, by progressive people. Not as in progressive people politically, over but over yeah. time yeah. being narrowed down to its uh, to its essence anyway sorry weird weird thought sorry well i want to ask then two questions could you imagine how this conversation might have gone had we had more conservative leanings let's say philosophically and politically conservative leanings broadly and do you think we have hit peak progression are we frustrated by the fact now and, and, and has this colored the conversation because things aren't changing as quickly as they used to? I, I don't know, man. I, Cause I'm, I, I come from a pretty, I come from a farming family. So I'm, I had a fairly conservative upbringing. I don't know if I'd even call myself a progressive. A lot of my ideas, I suppose, are kind of almost libertarian. Um, in in essence, or you know, my love for Australia, for example, I would say, you know, I, I really love Australia. I want to see it thrive as a country. These are the policies that I think would help it thrive as a country. Um, you know, I, I do admit that that the past couple of years, three or four years, I have consumed a huge amount of conservative philosophy and political content maybe the, the, the majority of it. But I, I, I think that was just because of my, I mean, maybe, I, I, well, I mean, that's, a, that's another conversation in itself, why there isn't perhaps as new and stimulating progressive material out there in the media as we might like. But, you know, I, I've been drawn to conservative thinkers because they have been my blind spot. They've been areas that yeah, I haven't been. The gap. Yeah, and I'm filling the gap. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm still, my mind is still blown away by the ideas of Thomas Sowell, by the, you know, for yeah, example. he's amazing. He is really amazing. And, and it was a, he was a conservative thinker that I hadn't even thought has about. Has he really. died now? I think he's still alive. He must be one seriously old dude. Yeah, audience, he's an this guy. amazing black American conservative philosopher. And just the best version of conservatism. Some yep. of it a bit uncomfortable, but most of it just golly, if that's what conservatism was mm -hmm. generally wouldn't have so much of a problem with it. Yeah. You know, here's an example of, of a brilliant idea of his um, it's about discrimination. So um, he says that it's not simply a case of people are disc discriminating or they're not discriminating. It's actually a factor of, which type of discrimination that they are participating in. And he sets it up as discrimination A and discrimination B. So discrimination A uh, would be you're walking in a neighborhood, there's a high crime rate, you see a guy walking towards you, he's walking on your side of the road, he's walking towards you, and you cross the road um, as a safety precaution, right? 
fair enough. That's discrimination 1A. You know there's a lot of assaults in the area. There's a guy coming towards you on your side of the street. You cross, you, you know, he's, he's, he's weird looking. He's got scraggly hair and he's cackling to himself under his breath. You cross the road. Perfectly fine discrimination. That's discrimination 1A. You have reason to believe that you might be in danger. A discrimination B would be that you saw a perfectly dressed African-American man coming with his business suit and briefcase walking down the road. And then you're like, oh, get across the road for this guy. That would be, would be an unacceptable form of discrimination. Anyway, Thomas Sowell, check him out. Yes, it's mind. truly a question of discernment, discerning yep. genuine threat based on evidence rather than Personal well, prejudice. prejudice. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and knowing that there's always going to be an ambiguous bit in the middle. And that it's not unreasonable for vulnerable people, whether that's uh, women or whether that's men in certain situations or whether that's, a, a, you know, a racial thing. Uh, obviously, as we're recording this, the, that um, that uh, poor guy who got lynched in the US is a, is a huge story, just running down the road and got shot by those two two guys. It's It's not terrible thing for a person to discriminate to try and increase their own safety but of course discrimination is also a huge problem anyway he just takes a nuanced view check him out he's it's pretty cool the, it's a problem with the kind of the the political like lexicon the political vocabulary that we're using it's and i i want to add a new word to it and i i everything everything that is useless about conservatism everything that is hopeless in terms of there's no hope we're ever going to get that back whatever it was you know whatever kind of policy setting whatever you know we're never going to live that you know best yesterday is is the phrase that, that david likes to use um i i just want to classify as preservatism mm, <laughs> like mm-hmm. preservative yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um because sure. we obviously associate that with terrible things in our food yeah, but and 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 conservatism at, at its heart is really just trying to make sure that we don't make a wrong step. Yeah, we don't lose good stuff. Mm. Yeah, and so I guess and this is it's such a problem with the with the language because when I say progressive, I literally just mean trying to find a better way to do it. And 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 okay. and the whole premise of being a philosopher king is assuming that there's a better way to do it. And I think some of the things we've said have never been tried before. Therefore, they are progressive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I suppose my kind of um, uh, uh, kind of leaning away from that term is is kind of looking back and, and his, there's another uh, kind of thought experiment which I think is great and I can't remember. It, I think it was a conservative figure who came up with it that you know a liberal or conservative walking in a field they come across an old dilapidated fence. It's still up. It's got barbed wire on it, but it's looking a little bit ragged. And the liberal thinks, well, fuck it, I'm going to kick this thing down. And the conservatives like, wait, we don't know what it's for. And uh, that's why I kind of, you know, I, I think there are, I think if I were to be a philosopher king, there would be an equal amount of things that I would say, hey, let's not do away with this. Um, there would be as many things that I would want to keep the same uh, as that I would want to change. You know, a sense of national identity, I think, is fantastic. I think it, I think it helps coalesce an, an in-group identity um, within it, and I, as Australia's uh, makeup becomes more diverse, both in terms of uh, ethnic divides, gender divides, religious divides, I think it's great to have any excuse to say, hey, this beautiful 
melting pot of people and ideas and beliefs, they're all your team. So, you know, there, there are things that I would want to keep the same. You know, I love, uh, I love Anzac Day celebrations. I love that type of stuff. So I don't know. That, that's why I shied away from it. But yeah, I do take your point about uh, progressive being an apolitical term in, in a lot of ways. Something I've just been thinking about while you, you know, you've been talking, I popped in my head, what would a conservative make of relative deprivation? What would they make of the idea that we expect it to get better and it's not, and we expect it not to get worse and it is? So to my mind, someone like Thomas Sowell would be as concerned by a situation where it isn't getting better and it's getting worse as we would. Hmm. And so should a reasonable progressive. Mm. So I kind of wonder if there's a political test for us as philosopher kings. That what we're trying to do is both stop it from getting worse and make it a little bit better. But the point of making it better is to not to break anything along the way, but to give people the choice. You can choose what we did that was okay or something a bit better. We're not going to make you. We just want to make sure that you always have the choice. And yet not the choice, I don't know, choice eventually disempowers people because they get overwhelmed with choice and they don't know what to do. You can have too many choices. So maybe this is a thing. Maybe what I really want to come out of national service in our philosopher king world is that people are confident in their competence that they can always make a decision, take action, assess what they did, decide if it needs to be revised, and move on. And if we can make millions of people like that, everything will be fine. Mm. There's a lot of things that you need to make mandatory in parenting to achieve that. I think. Yeah, but you can't, you can't fix parents because parents are who they are. And that's a private home thing. And you can try and make sure everyone's safe and you can make sure there's enough money and you can make sure there's healthy food and you can make sure there's meaningful jobs, but you yeah, this idea that you can engineer youth. Well, who are we to know at what point we don't know the right stuff anymore? We're here to put as many good opportunities in front of people as possible and stop backsliding. Something has to be dissatisfactory for, the, for there to be a will to want to change something. So I think that, yeah, you're right. You don't want to instill all the things that you think into the youth because who are you to know what's the best for them? Yeah, but dude, what is dissatisfactory is that the a frightening number of kids are obese, have diabetes, ADHD, don't know what they could do in life, don't know how to do okay at school, don't have a dream beyond becoming, you know, a, a sports star, which they can't achieve because no one's taught them the discipline to turn up and practice. The, the dissatisfaction is with the waste of capacity and what makes humans humans, the ability to be creative and do something new and different and do something caring true so when we aim to fix all of those things if they're not fixed then someone will come up with a different way to do them like it's it's interesting because you know you posit like you know who are we to know what's best for them i mean there's well, no, at, look, at least a, a good a, a good a set of, of the moral landscape 
What yeah. we're saying is we can measure when you're fucked. <laughs> and the problem is that we are so close to that line between a bad job and a good job. Mm. And despite having more stuff than ever before, more formal education than ever before, more access to healthcare than ever before, the gains for what we have are small. That's in something to rail against. So I will re-ask my question. Do you think we've hit peak progression? No, we've hit the natural stall of a system that is being overwhelmed. So we need now, a system. Again, it, mm. It's failing at both ends. It can't meet the new and it's not even managing the old. No, yeah, definitely. And so, the idea of a new system, the whole utopian leap thing, who the hell wants a utopian leap? when so much of what we've got is good, but needs to be used differently. And this thing of systems, you know, you might remember I showed you a really weird Sydney Decker video in complex problem solving. We talks all about people keep trying to refine systems. They keep trying to put more steps in the system, more fail safes in the system. And he talks about it in terms, his area of expertise was air safety. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He said, at the end of the day, you can, fart us around with the system till the end of time. But what will save people's life is someone who cares and does their job properly. And, and those people aren't a product of the system. They have enough to autonomy that, 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 that there's no control over that. There's not enough of them. Do you right. see enough of them? No. So the, so the point, so the point of our society, so as philosopher Kings, um, our broad policy is to produce more people like, I don't want to say like us. Ourselves. Cool, but yeah. <laughs> the point again, is to produce more philosopher kings. Well, the point is to produce more people who can save systems. Not in mega ways. Like we're not looking for the Messiah. No. I mean that in the you know, meaning of life, life of Brian type way. <laughs> you know, we're not looking for you know the next person to be chiseled out of the marble who comes out perfect but we're looking for someone who, despite the fact the system is wobbly and probably needs to be wobbly by design. So it isn't too prescriptive. So we need a system that works, but isn't prescriptive, but the good, not good, good's the wrong word. Capable people who recognize life's better when the people around you are doing well can tweak the system and keep it running better. So what we've got is pretty good. It's, it's so close to really good. I think that's what makes it so infuriating. Yeah, that's fascinating. It also makes what, what makes us complacent in some sense. Absolutely. You know, if I look at the perspective of being a blind person, where in history would I be teaching in a university, working on a defense grant, doing podcasts with former SAS officers? Aside from depicted in Kung Fu movies, perhaps. <laughs> uh, yeah, Nowhere. Yeah. So this society is so freaking close to awesome. And yet we still have 10 year olds who are obese, type two diabetes and ADHD and heaps of them. We still have a situation where even in lockdown, how many young women would feel safe to wake up at 2am and go for a walk. Mm. We're almost amazing, but we're still fucked. Mm. And being fucked when we're so close to amazing that's the frustration. It's like getting 84 on your last assignment. Yeah, not it's quite that, an HD. Yeah, the terrible <laughs> grades, 74 and 84. Yeah. 
So, really, why are you punishing me? <laughs> That's our society. Our society, and I'm going to say, our society is a solid 74. Yeah, I was about to say the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly everything's there to be a very low distinction. Yeah, B minus. But it just falls below the line. And the only thing holding it up is people that work around the system because the system leaves room to make sure that, hey, psst, I can help you get a couple more percent. I can't maybe help the whole system get over the line, but I can help 10 of you do a little bit better. So what does this highlight then? That the, 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 the most significant thing that you could do as a leader or as a philosopher king is to invest in your future and in future generations. Yeah, you need to be out of business. It's the ultimate irony, isn't it? The best thing for a philosopher king to do is work on the basis you shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a CEO recently I was listening to, and he said that he was he's like I'm exceptionally lazy. I just make sure that people can do their jobs. I manage people so that they can do the yeah, job of managing leadership. themselves. He empowers people to be effective. Yeah, right. So yeah, in a sense, it's the ultimate thing. In the end, is you know, uh, and I'm trying to remember the guy's name. It's Robert. Greenleaf wrote a book on servant leadership. He said, and a really amazing leader should do two things, work on the big picture strategic stuff that people don't have time to work on. Make sure everyone understands that and then empower everyone to get on with it. So that's really my philosopher King. If I had to take a single thing, it would be Robert Greenleaf and servant leadership. Come up with the strategic vision to get us over the line from nearly amazing to closer to it and empower people to get on with it, but leaving the door open that my vision should get it all started. But at some point, someone else's vision will take over. But hopefully if the empowerment has worked well, we'll avoid backsliding. We might be different, but we won't be diminished. What's fascinating at the moment for all the wealth, for all the stuff, for all the medical stuff, we are starting to be diminished. Well, that was a good conversation, Ender. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm wondering whether to finish it there, that's all. <laughs> well, are we being diminished? What do you think? Or is it just me? I don't mean as a species or as a society as a whole. I mean, it, it, no, 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 I can see what you're saying. It's certainly the wave has kind of broken. Like the kind of the baby boomer boom kind of the last you know, 70 years that's kind of the wave breaking yeah. now i think kind of you're in my generation tim just just from the observing the kind of the media we put out the memes and everything have kind of noticed that it's the water line is slowly starting to recede a little bit with- i would just use some of our examples from tonight mm. porn should be a good thing mm. how many young women are in it because they had choices mm. drugs how many of them would be amazing for treating psychiatric conditions? Mm. Several. How many people hide in them because their life causes them pain? Work. How many people get meaning from it and love turning up? Education. How many kids love to learn when all people start curious and it's beaten out of them by the inadequacy of the system? These are not individually massive things, but that was five or six in a row. We just go, why is it that way? 
it could be so much better. It just could be. Yeah. It, we were so close. We yeah. are so close yeah. to it. Well, at least just, that's my take it. on it. Mm. Sort of as a blind person, mm. more able to do more things. Still immensely frustrated because mm. I would have rather had full vision, tried to join the army at 18, tried to do selection at 21, disappeared for 20 years, came out and then had a second life after. And we would mm. never have known you. Well, you might have. Because I'd, I'd be past that 20 years and probably be, you know, really weird. Well, different, <laughs> different, different weird. Mm. Alternately, if that hadn't worked, maybe we would have raced superbikes in Italy. Mm. But so, the point is we're so close. Mm. Having said that, it solidifies in my mind that I would absolutely vote one of the two of you in if you were to run a, <laughs> run a campaign to be a philosopher king. I want that progression now. It's clear. It's, it seems clear that what the system we have just isn't going to be, isn't. Is, it's not necessarily. It's not capable. But there, there is there's there's, no push. There's a com- confluence of so many deficiencies that the system is is plagued with now diminishing people. So if I talk about you know that article I wrote on marginal losses that people yeah. went wild over for a while, our problem is not big things. It's tens of little things that just stymie us for a minute or waste a dollar that none of them on their own are so much weight that we can't bear it but all of them together stop us from getting actually tackling those big things actually doing some complex problem solving yeah Mm. so really all i want to do as a philosopher king is zap as many of the marginal losses and replace them with marginal gains but without being too prescriptive about the endpoints, Not too much social engineering. No, give people choices, but more importantly, put things in front of people that make it easier to be healthy and competent and confident. And then let them, let them work out what happens next. And I think we can manage health. We can, sorry, we can measure health. We can measure competence. And I think we can probably measure, you know, whether people are confident enough to be brave and try the next thing. How many times have you guys sat in classes at uni? How many times have you heard me talking about teaching classes at uni where the people in it were definitely smart enough to be running with the material, but there was still this reservedness in the room. (laughs) There wasn't confidence in the competence. No, I'm still like, I'm still tackling the the weight of that 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 we're being diminished <laughs> it's 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 sad yet actually it's really important that well and and you know what it's not even it's not even completely hopeless because you can still be one of those people that games the system yep and she says no to the marginal losses fixes a few side steps other helps people so you know fix a few and sidestep others you know really everything i try and do as a teacher is replace this marginal loss with a marginal gain yeah and come out neutral and then get some little wins and get the competence and confidence that you can put a few little marginal gains in place overcome a few marginal losses and then teach someone else so did you hear that guys listeners people listening you were the philosopher king all along all of us are the philosopher kings that's right us sitting here and you at home all you can do is try and add your little bit of weight you know we've been talking the whole episode about being on a knife's edge well then it should only take a feather touch to get us over get working get talking 
hmm, read a little, have some conversations, interesting conversations with people, voice your opinion. If you see somebody in need of help, a little bit of growth and prosperity, and you feel like doing it, then help them. It's not just enough to do all of that by yourself. I think to be truly impactful, it also has to be about encouraging others to do the same thing. Yeah, mm. together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because individually the, when you can and together if possible. The point the point is you set you you set your life up to be or or you set your society up, but let's put it on the micro scale. You set your life up to be as conducive as possible to everyone around you being as productive to that cause as possible. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. just yourself. Maybe we could talk about how to do that <laughs> at another time. It'd be another yeah. episode, yeah. So I think, you know, at least to me, we've worked out that we're pretty reticent about being philosopher kings, but we worked out why we think something needs to be done that's not that big a push, and that's why we wonder if it needs to be pushed a different way, because democracy doesn't seem at the moment to know how to push. Because democracy can't push until people push, so we need more people pushing. And you can't push from the, the, the soft, wimpy, oh, I'd like it to be nice and I'd like to convince you. No, go be competent and go be confident and show people what doing better looks like. So you're persuading them through the little things you do and the way you are. Like sharing a podcast on your social media or buying some merch. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first thing you should do. Absolutely. Yes. yes. Mm. Get 10 people to subscribe to Blind Insights and all buy a t-shirt. Yeah. Buy you can a be t-shirt. part of the Blind Insights Legion. Bloody sponsor us if you've got a small business. <laughs> yeah. And on that note, we are sponsored by Beep <laughs> to be the future philosopher kings of Australia. We promise it won't be for too long. It will be nice. You might not like all of it, but you'll get some choice to kind of be different, better, worse, but you'll have control over your own destiny and hopefully not feel diminished. Thank you for that, David. Thank you, gentlemen. And thank you, Peter. Thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here as always. Thank you, audience. Hasta la vista. Hello, listeners. If you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe and like our Facebook page. Search for Blind Insights with David Olney. Also, don't forget that we have merchandise. Thank you to the OzCast Network. Peace out. Listener.